0: It is, it is always good to be back. Mine was not the voice that Grant was speaking of then. Um, and I'm grateful to be here with you again. It's been a little over a year, and I'm grateful to be here before Andrew Peterson is here. Thanks for having me on the front, not the back end of that. It'd be a tough act to follow. Um, whether it's at an event tonight or at the table this afternoon, I'd love to talk to more of you about theological education and As somebody who's been involved in higher education for a couple decades now, there are certain things I keep returning to. Finding myself needing challenge and provocation, hope and confidence each and every year. And I suspect there are probably some foggy mornings where each of you, sisters and brothers, can use the same. And this morning I want to reflect on a text that continues to challenge me and point me back to Scripture. The text is not scripture and it's not from a Christian. The great man of letters, W.E.B. Du Bois, wrote in 1903 an essay called The Talented Tenth. And he was reflecting on our land, our country, and how far we'd come. At that point, just a few decades past a civil war and emancipation. And he was looking forward to what might lie ahead, not just for African-Americans in the land, but for the country as a whole. And he wrote in that essay, that the talented 10th, not necessarily the sharpest, but those who are resourced and educated, those who are equipped and provided for, how they will lift up others in service. There will be a trickle-down effect, we might say. And however that works in economics, he argued in education, the blessing given to that talented 10th would serve the whole community. It's a moving essay, and I continue to find uh, inspiration in the way he speaks there. But it's worth noting 35 years later, as he was an older man, as he'd seen much and in so many ways not seen nearly enough, he offered a memorial address on it. And in 1948, he wrote that he was right the talented tenth, those with much, those with opportunity and resource and education, they ought to lift up others. But he noted how so often they fall into mendacity and deceit and they fool themselves and they step-by-step, compromise. And they're concerned with the self, with their own. And they don't just naturally see that their benefits and privilege trickle down and bless others, but too often they keep them to themselves. They protect themselves. And it's not a uniquely American problem. It's not a problem unique to Dr. Du Bois' community. It's a human problem. I'm reminded of the great president of the Czech Republic, Vaclav Havel, who had spent years as a dissident in prison and then came to power and he remarked on the struggle and he said this, he said society was kept down, friends, by millions of tiny Lilliputian threads of everyday mendacity, conformity, and compromise. Not by grand screw-ups, but by tiny Lilliputian threads of compromise. If we're honest, we have remarkable blessing. Not just being led in song and prayer and receiving the benefits of community, but if we're honest, we're the rare few who receive a liberal arts education, a Christian education. And most college students can't say that. And most Americans can't say that they go to college, 70% won't. And most Christian sisters and brothers around the globe who look like someone from Nairobi or Sao Paulo or Jakarta they can't imagine having a teacher as well-educated as you are, in many cases. We are blessed. And as Christians, we ought to face the question of Dr. Du Bois' observation. Will we, like the world, wind up being those who talk a big game and hope for impact and yet find at the end of the day, we have made tiny Lilliputian compromises? We have narrowed in and focused so very much on ourselves and our own that we've not been a blessing to others. I think back 500 years ago, this very year, 1523, the great reformer Martin Boetzer stepped into Strasbourg and he was suspect, not yet famous. He was the one who later would correct a recently fired John Calvin and train him up and send him off to be the most impactful reformed pastor of that age. He was the one who would eventually be sent off to England to help further the Reformation there. But here he was a suspect young pastor, and they wanted to know what he would teach. And he offered a warning, and he offered a promise. The warning was this. Bootser said, God could not send us a greater plague than men seeking their own advantage. That's perhaps a big metaphor to invoke here and now this side of what we've been through. It was an even bigger statement in that world where bubonic plague was an issue on the regular, but there is no greater plague that might be sent than men and women who would seek their own advantage apart from others. But Bootser argued that Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it offers a different way. It offers a hope for something different, and that's what I want to explore with you in just a few minutes here. Bootser went on to say that there is a remarkable message we learn in the gospel, that we live not for ourselves, but for others. And that reshapes how you think about your time here. That reshapes what it means to be at a college that is named and defined by covenant, that I am not my own. I belong to God and I serve my neighbor. One of the passages that most moved Bootser in that day as a young man was this, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 6. I want to read just a few verses to you, beginning in chapter 5, verse 13. We read, if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, one has died for all, We implore you then on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might in him become the righteousness of God. Fellow workers with him then, we appeal to you not to receive God's grace in vain. This word which you've heard before recounts amazing blessings. Christ's love compelling or controlling us. Change so seismic it can only be called new creation and the joy of being reconciled again to a God from whom we have so long lived apart. But sisters and brothers, notice also what we are given here. We are given a role. We are given a place. God, amazingly capable of shooting straight with a crooked stick, God desires not simply to bring His grace like lightning in a field, but to work through the means of His people. And so here we learn also amazing things. We are told that we are actually ministers of reconciliation. We are truly ambassadors for Christ. We are finally fellow workers with God, we read in verse 1 of chapter 6. And this is true of the whole church in Corinth. And let me just tell you, if it's true of the whole church in Corinth, my goodness, it's true of every church you visited. We have nothing on their screw-ups and struggles. We will come up with no problems that they have not already imagined. And yet, God has grace and God has a place for those sisters and brothers. And whatever fog you may feel you're in this morning and this year and this season, God has grace and a place for you. As you study at this college, and as you live as a part of his covenant. So, how is it that God actually moves us, motivates us, changes us, so that we actually live different from those people that Dr. DeBose was describing? I think there's three things we can very briefly identify in just these verses that speak to our call in Christ to serve others, to bless them with the blessing we have been given. First and foremost, friends, we are freed to serve. We are freed to serve, not to be marked by defensiveness. If you've ever suffered chronic pain or some major medical malady, you will know that as soon as that pain strikes, it's very hard to be mindful of things on the periphery. Your vision narrows. Everything becomes about that pain, about that issue until it is dealt with, cured, addressed, until the medicine or the surgery cures or fixes. And it's the same way spiritually and existentially. When we feel a threat, it is impossible to be mindful of things elsewhere. We are dominated by that fight or flight instinct. And friends, if we're honest, we've lived in the trenches for so very long. What a gift it is to know the peace, the peace that passes understanding. Having invested ourselves for so long in hedging against future danger, we've got a dividend now. We've got a future to invest in building up others. We are freed to be ministers of reconciliation, no longer bound by self-protective distance. We are freed to be ambassadors for Christ, no longer needing to make that name for yourself. We are freed to be fellow workers with Christ, making appeal to others on God's behalf, no longer being constrained by timidity, by worry and fear. As Bootser said, restoration will reach each sister or brother according to their degree of receptivity and responsiveness, and we have been given a future hope in Jesus Christ, nothing less than a new creation. And so we are given a response and a call. Secondly, we're called and given the joy of gratitude for God's gift over and against the temptation of contempt. I would suggest contempt is one of the signature sins of our age. It's a great coping mechanism for other problems that are harder to address. I finished up grad school just as the Great Recession hit. I remember seeing on the job board of the largest academic website that there were 333 jobs in August, And banks began to fail the next month. And as interview season was ramping up, jobs began disappearing, such that eventually, by that winter, there were zero. And for years, we have known the difficulty of an economy that seems to not exactly be growing. We've got one generation already, and yours yet to come, where you don't have the promise of having a more prosperous life here than your parents did. And goodness, it's easy to fall into contempt, to believe that the best thing to do is simply to throw spite and shade on someone else. And yet, friends, while contempt comes naturally, Christ teaches us not to regard those circumstances of the flesh. All is from God, and we are cared for, we read here. Rather than spiteful contempt, we can be marked by gratitude for God's free gift, knowing that if this earthly home goes, we have a home in the heavens, not made with human hands, eternal and forevermore. We are are freed to be thankful, and being thankful, we are compelled by Christ's love to share with the one who's shown such generosity, to others, to be distinct, not in our power, but in gratitude for his provision in the midst of our weakness. And third and finally, friends, we're given purpose in Jesus Christ over and against the cynicism that serves as a sedative in our day and age. Uncertainty makes it really hard to invest, to throw yourself out there, or to put your money in a fund. If you don't know what lies ahead, it's really hard to get excited or to put skin in the game. And in so many ways, we live in a day and age where day after day we are reminded how uncertain so many things of the future are. Will wars continue and will they grow? Will recession hit still further? Will jobs dwindle? What will happen to the market? And we observe problems much smaller in our households, our relationships. Will my parents stay together? Will my church maintain a good gospel witness or fall foul of scandal as happens so often? Will my friend or roommate and I stay close? Will the person I'm interested in, will they love me? Will I matter? In so many ways, uncertainty makes it hard to put yourself out there to invest, And cynicism is our day's tempting sedative. If I'm not willing to step out, I'm going to be willing to play Mystery Science Theater 3000 and crack jokes at those who do. Go to any karaoke bar and you will observe these people. They are on the side. They do not dance and do not sing, but they've got a zinger for everyone who does. And all of us play that role, whether we're on social media or we're too cool to be on social media. We've got cracks about others and their efforts. We've got suspicions about their motivations. But friends, Christ gives us something else. Union with Christ makes you part of something bigger than yourself, more beautiful than worldly comfort. Union doesn't just involve your status justified in Christ. It also involves a summons. Union doesn't just bring a remarkable vindication before God's judgment. It also gives you a vocation. Union brings not just the blessings of Christ, but also the shape of Christ's life and story, of glory deployed for the sake of the weak, of blessings shared with those who are so often left behind and forgotten. We're taught from as far back, though, if we're honest, our first viewing of Moana or Frozen or whichever Disney you want to watch, that we need to find our own way. We need to set out and forge our own path. We need to put off the shackles of conformity and express ourselves. But, sisters and brothers, Christ, in whom we share a name by baptism as was prayed, Christ shows us what it is to be human, to be beloved, to be given over for our neighbor and their good. We learn again, as, as Bootser said, restoration will reach each one of us according to our degree of receptivity and responsiveness. In these college seasons, it can be so hard to know what might lie ahead, where you ought to go. Should I propose? Should I say yes or no? Should I change my neighbor, my major, Should I change my roommate? Should I go to that church? What career path should I actually pursue? What summer internship should I be after? It can very much feel like the fog of early morning today. And yet one of the gifts we have is that Christ gives us clarity. Wherever we go, whatever gifts you have, whatever you take from this place, you are a member of God's covenant people. And if you're beloved in Christ, you're marked to live out the story and the calling of Christ, to take what He has given that it might be a blessing, not just to you, but to others, to the nations, to those around you. We are given a ministry of reconciliation. We are given an ambassadorship of Jesus Christ. We are given the great right and privilege of being fellow workers with God. What a remarkable calling. What a gracious gift. Perhaps like me, you've taken different jobs. I took a number of jobs. I worked at a Taco Bell. I built computers when I had no idea how a computer was built. I've actually been that horrific telemarketer selling you a Bahamian weekend. I've done a number of jobs, and I suspect if, like me, you've trained or you've entered new jobs, you'll know it's terrifying when you don't know what's expected and how you're to do it. Confusion does not breed confidence. Latitude does not lead to your best life now. When you start a job, it's remarkably freeing to have a boss, a trainer who tells you, this is how it's done. Here are the common mistakes and I will walk you through the process. Friends, one of the great gifts Is that Christ not only makes peace with God on your behalf, Christ not only gives you his Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out, Christ also enlists you in the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And he gives you a calling that every good gift you receive is meant to be a blessing for others near and far, that you are to pour yourself out glory being deployed for those who are weakest, that God's name might be praised, and that our neighbors might receive much good. So I pray whatever fogginess you may have about the future, I pray whatever defensiveness and worry you might have about security and provision, whatever contempt you might have about those who seem to be screwing everything up for us, whatever cynicism you might be tempted to as you see others race ahead of you in some way. I pray you remember not just your baptism, but the calling given in that baptism, that we are brought in, adopted as sons and daughters to be members of the kingdom of God's beloved Son, and to bear that name with gladness, with gratitude, with freedom. And now I'm going to close with a prayer that Bootser prayed for those Christians early in 1523. Would you Go before our God and Father with me. Since the kingdom of God consists not of words but power, may the Father of every grace grant through our Savior, Jesus the Christ, that this perfect state may not remain a matter of mere talk among us. May the Father also make it so you don't stop at these and other merely human suggestions. But devote yourselves to the divine Scripture, and as loyal sheep of your true and only Shepherd, Jesus, listen to His voice, so that you may therewith progress in faith, be perfected in all love, live not at all for yourselves but for your neighbor, and through your neighbor for Christ, and through Christ for God the Father Almighty. Praise and glorify Him, in eternity. Amen.